everyone, welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. In this week's episode, I interview Nate Chastain, head of product at OpenSea. OpenSea got its start back in 2017 when CryptoKitties launched on Ethereum. After those digital cats, the NFT space was pretty dead for the next couple of years. Now, OpenSea is reaping the rewards of hanging through that NFT winter as NFT summer explodes with punks, apes, penguins, and more cats. Nate was OpenSea's first product hire, and now he's making sure that what started out as a platform for essentially CryptoKitties can deal with millions of digital assets. He talks about the scaling challenges OpenSea is facing and what's next on the roadmap after raising $100 million in a round led by Andreessen Horowitz. The daily records in volume and users is proving the founders right in thinking maybe it's not finance that will take crypto to mainstream, but something that looks like a cute game. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. The new Kraken app is one of the best places to invest in some of the most popular DeFi assets like Uniswap, Aave, Polkadot tokens, and more. Just download the app and get started in minutes. Plus, you can earn additional rewards through Kraken's industry-leading staking product. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually on some of your favorite cryptos. Sign up today at kraken.com slash defiant or type Kraken in the App Store to learn more. Don't let high gas costs keep you out of Ethereum. At Balancer, you can trade all you want and get most of the gas costs back in your pocket. In their new Bal for Gas campaign, traders are receiving six figures worth of Bal tokens every week. And with V2 just around the corner, Balancer is becoming the one-stop shop for DeFi liquidity. Balancer V2 brings stable pools and weighted pools tightly integrated under a single protocol, flash loans lending via asset managers, and much more. Check it out at balancer.finance. Experience DeFi. Deposit, earn, and borrow on Aave. Aave is a decentralized, open-source, and non-custodial liquidity protocol to earn interest on deposits and borrow assets. Deposit and start earning interest in real time directly in your wallet and swap any of your deposited assets at any time to get some of the best deals on the market. Aave protocol liquidity pools are now available on Ethereum and on the sidechain Polygon. Head over to app.ave.com to get started today. The Index Co-op is on a mission to make crypto investing simple, accessible, and safe for everyone. They've built the market-leading index products, DPI, the DeFi Pulse Index, MPI, the Metaverse Index, and BED, for one-click crypto exposure. Additionally, their flexible leverage series grants safe 2x exposure to popular crypto assets like ETH or BTC, with low liquidation risk and low cost to maintain your position. To buy or learn more about these products, go to indexcoop.com. Okay, uh, here we are with Nate Chastain. He's the head of product of OpenSea. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for joining the Defined Podcast. Thanks, Camilla. Great to be here. Yeah, so um, I've been super excited about this episode and have been wanting to um, do a, an, an interview with someone from OpenSea um, for a while. I mean, uh, as you all know, listening to this podcast, uh, NFTs are exploding right now. Um, and a large part of that activity is happening on OpenSea. It's uh, the largest uh, NFT marketplace at the moment. And Nate is one of the few people kind of... Uh, leading the operation, making sure that everything runs smoothly as the market goes absolutely crazy. Um, and things have heated up even more than they already were in just in the past few days, like August, like it seems like has been um, insane so far. So definitely want to get into that. Uh, but first, curious about your background, like what um, led you to crypto? Uh, what were you doing before joining OpenSea? If, if you can um, start with that. Sure. So 
uh, I'll start all the way at the beginning. Um, coming out of college, I was moving into a career as a comedy writer. So I was working at Mad Magazine and then The Onion as a staff writer there. Uh, and I was enjoying doing that work, but uh, one of my reservations after after eight or nine months working at The Onion was that uh, it, it put you in this in this headspace that was a little bit uh, problem-oriented without being solution-oriented. You, you were constantly thinking about um, what was frustrating people or what was, what was painful about someone's daily life, and then mapping that to um, jokes and headlines for the paper. So ultimately, um, I, it just felt like a healthier uh, headspace to, to be in, to pivot into thinking through like ways to translate those um, insights into solutions through software or other, or other tools. So I had had this lingering interest in product and tech for a long time and um, ultimately just taught myself how to code and moved from um, a comedy writing career to tech after picking up some things. So I've been in the, the blockchain space for the past four and a half years. I was working on a product initiative at MetaMask before joining OpenSea led a couple of initiatives at Consensus and uh, was a front-end developer for a few years before that at a live streaming company. Oh, wow, so interesting. I, um, I I think that's a transition not a lot of people make, like comedy writer to <laughs> to blockchain. Certainly, that is unorthodox, yeah. I, I think uh, it, it was helpful to get started on that wavelength of um, Frustration, because I, I, I think a, a great strength for a product manager is um, being able to empathize with the users who are making use of your product and understanding what's causing them pain. So I, I had already um, strengthened that muscle early on and, and felt comfortable making that assessment. Um, users also are quite vocal about what they are frustrated by with OpenSea because th there are many who are uh, power users of our app who are spending several hours a day on OpenSea and some um, minor frustration encountered several times a day can ultimately boil over into a tweet or a support ticket or something else. So we benefit from um, the, the passion, I would say, that users have for using OpenSea. Cool. Okay, now definitely want to go in detail uh, into OpenSea, but first, so how was kind of this um, uh, when did you join OpenSea, and and what what about it uh, interested you? Sure. So, I started speaking with Devin and Alex in December of last year about a potential role. I had spoken with a friend of mine who was an early investor in OpenSea, and he was encouraging me to um, to spend some time speaking with their team. At that point, OpenSea had been around for a couple of years, and I was uh, aware of them at least in my peripheral vision at Consensus, um, but certainly the NFT space had not matured to um, where it is today. It was, it was still, uh, honestly, the um, competitive landscape was still pinning Rarible against OpenSea in terms of the, the market share that each product was commanding, and um, it was unclear at that time how that would play out. So part of the attraction that I had to working with this team was I thought that um, Devin and Alex were very strong founders who had the DNA to move OpenSea to the next inflection point as a company. And I also felt like, given that there uh, there hadn't previously been someone installed in a full-time product role, there was a lot of alpha that I could add to the organization by coming in. So there, there was um, one person on the team who was working as a part-time designer, but most of the UX and product work was being done, um, it was, sort of being done by committee by a number of people on the team who had strong product sense, but weren't really making those determinations on a daily basis. So I, I felt that joining OpenSea would just uh, allow me to solve some problems that had been lingering there and, and um, tune up some of the user flows that were causing problems. Interesting. So you were the first um, full-time hire dedicated to product. Yes, I, wow. I started uh, as the head of product, we were just starting a search now for our first product managers, but at the time, um, the product org was comprised of one person. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, the NFT space was nowhere where it was uh, last year. So it, it was 
still kind of a, I guess like a, a leap of faith, like just believing this would take off and that OpenSea would be the winner or, I mean, so far the, the leader. Certainly. Um, that, yeah, I've had to sort of talk through, um, you know, give explanations of what's happening here to some of my friends and family outside of the space. And notably, a few weeks before accepting my offer at, at OpenSea, I had um, been in a conversation with my girlfriend about crypto punks. And when I um, moved into an explanation of the market that this company I would be joining was in, uh, she was already sort of had reservations about the idea of a marketplace that specialized in assets like CryptoPunks. The the um, asset is not something that's immediately accessible to someone outside of the space. The value behind an asset like a CryptoPunk is not immediately apparent to someone who isn't um, deeply aware of how someone would be treating that token. No, totally. Um, I think it's becoming... This year, it's becoming more clear to, I guess, like a mainstream audience, but last year was totally, totally niche. Um, so can you, like, do you know more of the the, um, the founding story of, of OpenSea, just to get that context? Like, how many years ago was it founded? And, uh, and like... Um, yeah, what like why why it was started and uh, like how how um, what was kind of like what was being traded? I don't know years years ago when like all of all of these uh, animal drops weren't available. <laughs> sure. Well, um, if you go back in time to uh, one of the first animal related um, NFT releases, would being Crypto Kitties, mm -hmm. that was that was really the marker for um, when OpenSea started to take form as a product. It emerged as a marketplace for trading um, Crypto Kitties and, and only another couple of projects. There were there was such a short list of NFT projects at that time that they were all represented in a single sidebar. Um, so really, a very s small scoped problem. But I think coming out of um, coming out of YC, Devin and Alex were interested in finding or and identifying a use case for crypto that would really uh, take hold amongst a mainstream audience. And some of the more financial applications of crypto, some of the financial products that were being um, conceived of at that time, the hypothesis was that those would not um, ultimately be that use case, and that, that there was still one remaining to be found. And I think it's so obvious in retrospect, but like, Moving, um, moving crypto from being an entirely financial product to something that embeds art and culture directly into the experience is, is something that I think powered um, powered this movement and, and made it something that a more mainstream audience could find accessible and find value in. So, getting back to your original question, um, I, I don't know that I, I I'm not certain that Alex and, and Devin had. Uh, a sense that things would escalate this quickly, but I think they had high conviction that there was something here and that the early indications that they were receiving that users were finding this experience compelling of trading NFTs powered a few years that were a little bit um, where things were a little bit more uncertain. I, I think that it's important to remember that OpenSea has existed for several years, right? It, it hasn't. It's not something that um, emerged only in, in this last wave. So part of the reason that I think OpenSea has been successful this year is that there's a lot of um, shared understanding and the collective consciousness of the organization about previous experiences that we've, that we've seen or um, like some insight into how, how users previously made use of this product before there was a more fragmented uh, market for NFT marketplaces. Ah, that, that's so interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, the fact that OpenSea was founded so so around 2017 when Crypto Kitties um, uh, started, and and it, OpenSea just like started at this uh, smaller marketplace for for a few NFT projects, but with this big vision um, and huge like incredible foresight uh, of of saying. Maybe finance isn't going to be the um, the use case that brings crypto to the mainstream, and maybe there's something else. And it looks like 
a lot of just normal people enjoy trading these, um, you know, digital objects. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think it's it's really interesting for for founders listening to to realize that, um, you know, I think it's it's worth kind of sticking to that vision because. Yeah, like there was like some initial success in, in 2017, but between 2017 and now or, or maybe late last year, not much happened really in the NFT space. Um, so, and, and, and you joined, uh, you said, uh, sorry, last last year? My, my start date was February of this year, but I had been in, in conversations from December onwards. So I, I had mm -hmm. sort of been in the, in the um, process of, of joining OpenSea for a couple of months um, ahead of that start date. And I, I would say just flagging one one item that you um, brought up there, I, I think the, the true catalyst of this, um, it, it's a combination of factors that I think produce this, this interest in NFTs, but the backdrop of um, COVID, one of the most isolating experiences in modern history, like that I think served as a pretty important backdrop for uh, in individuals exploring other ways to um, create shared experiences or communal experiences. So looking to um, Port Ape Yacht Club as an example of a su successful NFT project, I think what they nailed was um, putting the membership access front and center in their products value proposition in their project's value proposition and in all of their branding around that release um, like above the fold on the board at Yacht Club site they were they were showcasing the um, art around the club itself right not the actual tokens only when you scroll down the page did you become aware that uh, these individual apes were what conferred access or membership to this group so I, I think that um, that alone is an interesting case study in the world of NFTs, why Board Ape Yacht Club was able to so quickly um, capture um, the imagination of, of so many people in the space. But uh, I, I think the notion of NFTs as membership access tokens is something that really resonated with people at a time when some of our traditional ways of um, having shared experiences had sort of been um, removed. Right. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're totally right. People were looking for, um, community and a, a way to connect and, um, and, and be with kind of like-minded people and, and just, you know, not, not feel so alone as you're kind of quarantining and, uh, spending all your time in your apartment. You, you want to feel kind of this sense of, okay, I'm, I'm a part of something fun. Um, just like, you know, lighthearted um, joke <laughs> or, or something that seems like an inside joke, like all these NFT uh, communities kind of do. Um, so now uh, about just like the recent weeks, uh, because yeah, like I, I, I agree um, for, uh, for, just NFT picking up this year, um, maybe uh, some of it last year too. A lot of it, I think, yeah, was was driven by uh, by COVID and also just um, there, there's like there was like this perfect storm of being confined and also all this stimulus and people like just like spending money on uh, the different kind of assets online, um, and I think all of that kind of. Uh, drove nfts like drove the nft wave um but if i don't know looking at just like the numbers for for august there was like a shift it it, it just like completely exploded um like daily volume i don't know i'm seeing here like it, it's it went to like over 60 million for the first time um a couple of days ago like maybe two days ago and that compares to like lower than 20, 20 million for like most, like, I don't know, most of the time before that. Um, so, I mean, you, you see like volume tripling over just like a couple of days. Um, and like, just like 
beings as consistently over at least like 40 million uh, this month. So what do you think happened? Uh, well, I, I definitely don't want to ascribe it to any uh, radical change that we made to our product. I, so I, I, I don't think that we deserve any of the, um, <laughs> I, I think we deserve a very small amount of the credit for building the product that, that powers this. Um, mm. I, I would say I, I have been somewhat attentive to the market, but I, I, I think it's hard sometimes to diagnose uh, or, or to pinpoint the, the reason why um, there's just like an explosive uptick in, mm. in interest around a particular space. There could be just um, pockets of different subcultures that gravitate to NFTs, and then once a tastemaker from that space changes their avatar to um, a board ape or a, a crypto punk or, or something else, that entire subculture becomes more interested in exploring what NFTs represent. I think as uh, users have participated in, in a few drops, the cognitive load of participating in subsequent drops uh, decreases. So most of that volume is coming from um, repeat sales. The, the, number, the total number of of, of wallets is actually um, something that we're working to, to increase, but the total number of active wallets is not necessarily moving in lockstep with the uptick in volume. So we, we do think that um, there is a lot of um, there there is a lot of value remaining to be unlocked in bringing new users into the platform, and that's something that we're trying to be mindful of in the next few months. Is, working through some of those important onboarding challenges around getting someone set up with a wallet for the first time or um, coach, coaching them through in the app for the first deposit of ETH. Uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of work that remains to be done in that area. And, and I think if we are finding product market fit with repeat buyers, that, that's great. But I, I do think that it's a small sliver of what could ultimately be the size of this market. That's so interesting. So what, what percentage of volume would you say is from repeat buyers? Uh, I would have to look into the analytics here, but I, I know that like many of the um, new releases, we have been tracking which wallets are participating in them. And, and most of the, um, the drops that do well on OpenSea attract repeat buyers who have been on OpenSea for um, a longer duration than you know, the extent of that release. So there are a handful of projects that bring in um, entirely new users. When we had a, um, a release earlier in the year with Kings of Leon and one with Rob Gronkowski, both of those brought on uh, many new users who were sort of getting set up for the first time with MetaMask and had questions about that process. So we are searching for some of those breakthrough projects that uh, can sort of overcome the activation cost here, but it's a pretty substantial ask of a new user to have them not only feel comfortable um, exploring this new product in OpenSea, but also uh, installing a browser extension like MetaMask that they may not have exposure to. So I think handling that um, dual onboarding process or, or that sort of like paired onboarding has, has been something that has slowed our um, user activation, certainly. Oh, okay, interesting. Do you think, or do you have data to to know whether most of um, of your of OpenSea users are? Um, I guess it, this would be hard to know, but I'm I'm wondering if if most are are like crypto native, or or are are you seeing like a, a bigger volume of, of like, just like first time crypto uh, users, like come to OpenSea first. I don't know if there's a way or you could know that. Well, it's tough because the support tickets that we get definitely are weighted in, in the direction of being um, less crypto native or crypto literate users. So uh, many of the support tickets that we're answering and, and ways that we're helping users through the app are coming from that um, category of users. Once you have, uh, moved in the direction of making your first deposit to MetaMask or, or making your first NFT purchase on OpenSea, I think we 
we're delivering a, an average to above average user experience, but the, the uh, process of, of getting there is just a little bit cumbersome. So mm. I, I, I don't have um, a clear sense of prior to joining OpenSea, or prior to connecting a wallet for the first time on OpenSea, what that user's um, like crypto exposure was ahead of time, but my, my intuition is that we are still attracting a more crypto native audience. That's really mm. the inflection point that we're, uh, not really an inflection point, I would say like the, the narrative of this past year has been, we functioned exclusively as a crypto native solution to um, an NFT marketplace for so long. And now that we're bringing in a much larger audience, we have to start thinking about creative ways to abstract away some of those complicated UX patterns or even even the language that we're using, um, getting away from using the word transaction in places where we can just say purchase. Um, totally. I like what what other ways are, are you thinking of, of onboarding? Uh, non-crypto native users like I don't know any kind of creative solutions that, that you're crafting sure well we um, launched support for polygon minting and um, polygon trading earlier this year in, in July uh, and that has enabled us to strip out some of the um, some of the fee, fee structure that was presenting problems for new users where a user who wants to get started selling items on OpenSea previously had to pay an initialization fee that could represent a few hundred dollars. So it, stripping that out of the user experience certainly has allowed us to um, create a lighter weight introduction to the space. I think also that's allowed us to start experimenting with ways that we might make use of, um, I, I think, Polygon tokens as a um, as a tool could could be used by teams that are trying to um, generate interest in their product through like selective airdrops or or some other um, growth vector, making use of this token that's that's free to drop. So, whereas um, projects nor, uh, typically have to rely on users to pay the, the gas cost to um, mint an item. On Polygon, it's much easier to just um, represent something of value in the form of a Polygon token and uh, distribute that to your community. That's not something that we're necessarily looking at, but something that I have had conversations with the team about is, is like setting up some form of a badge system um, that, that's represented by Polygon tokens. So in the same way that um, Foursquare might use badges to incentivize certain um, favorable behaviors in the app. We might start rewarding certain behavior in the app with, um, you know, a, a token that does not have monetary value, but might have um, a reputational value. Oh, interesting. So, sorry, you're mentioning a polygon token. So, do you mean like using Matic or like using an OpenSea? token that's on Polygon? Uh, not, definitely not the latter. Um, I want to be very careful about not um, promising anything in that in that territory. <laughs> but um, yeah, a, a Polygon uh, token, by, by that I just mean a token that is deployed on, on Polygon, on the uh, Matic network. Um, but for the token, do you mean like, like projects listing on OpenSea? Would uh, reward users uh, with with that token, or so yeah. in the event that you're that you're starting a new NFT project um, and mm -hmm. and you want to build buzz around that or or generate some momentum around the project, um, certain projects have have started to uh, identify community members and airdrop NFTs to them in the form of um, Polygon tokens. When when you're Deploying your project on Polygon, it's easier to to transfer NFTs without incurring um, substantial fees. In fact, through meta transactions, you you don't pay anything for transfers on OpenSea. So um, that has made it easier for certain projects to bootstrap themselves. Okay, I see. Uh, 
Oh, that's interesting. So that could be kind of like a a, a new wave of incentivizing or, or or like encouraging people to participate in these NFT projects. If these projects are um, distributing an additional token on top of their NFTs, so it would be some like similar to kind of liquidity mining or like yield farming, uh, but on OpenSea. Well. It's not necessarily something that would um, have to take place on OpenSea. Another way that uh, that this could be framed is, is like previously. Um, I, I, how should I say this? the The value proposition of, of Polygon is just that it's it's much easier to distribute and transfer um, tokens that may be priced at a lower price point. So whereas gas costs typically made transfers um, cost prohibitive for lower price items. Now it's possible to launch a project that has tokens priced at five US dollars or one US dollar because the gas cost is no longer representing a significant fraction of that. Um, right now, I think the, the price structure of NFT releases is partially informed by um, those gas fees being embedded in, in, that, in that fee structure. Yeah, so maybe by, by being on layer two, uh, NFTs can start to be priced at, at just like cheaper and um, become more accessible. Well, yeah, and, and not necessarily, um, it, it, there will always be um, NFTs that are, that are listed at higher price points. But mm -hmm. I think that um, something that excites me about Polygon or other layer two solutions is this um, is this market that's now forming around lower price items, where mm. there are certainly tokens of value that um, should command lower prices or are more um, are more ephemeral in an in-game universe. So I, I do expect that enabling support for Polygon will open up that use case a little bit more than we have in the past. Very cool. Um, can you talk about just uh, some of the most recent numbers that, that you're seeing, uh, like after this surge, uh, like daily active users, uh, new users, volume, uh, I don't know, any any other kind of metric that you look at? Sure. Well, our, our daily volume has been certainly, um, uh, I, would, I would say it's it's definitely been a surprising total. Uh, it has eclipsed our total for all of, in the first two days of August, um, we had already far surpassed our total for the entirety of 2020. Um, so our, our volume is now, that we're, we're sort of letting records stand for 24 hour periods in terms of daily volume, where um, I, I just pulled this up and today we are up to 62.5 million in daily volume on Ethereum alone, um, and our all-time high on August 4th was $64.1 million on Ethereum. That does not include the total volume on, on Polygon. So we're now in this sort of <laughs> unchart these uncharted waters where uh, it, it's exciting, but I also want to ensure that we're not correlating this uh, directly with, with uh, that we're not resting on our laurels here or assuming that this is because our product has been entirely smoothed over. There, there's still a lot of work to do to make this a compelling user experience. So what have been uh, the biggest challenges in, in this explosion? I would say that um, it is underreported how difficult it is to scale a startup quickly in that uh, there are a number of, of organizational challenges in, in making sure that you're setting a high bar for uh, incoming hires, that the, the management structure is in place in order to support a growing organization. Um, that's That's been something that was sort of unfamiliar to me previously in, in product roles. Uh, I would also say that the one of the challenges of building a, a marketplace for a varied design space is there are a number of ways that we could better serve certain types of projects that are not being well served by the uh, the experience that we've designed on OpenSea to fit 
a majority of projects. So if you if you look, for instance, at our item page, um, the size of the artwork there would not really be uh, optimal for an art-based project. And if you if you consider a collectibles project, we likely should be exposing um, traits and properties of that item more so than than we are today. So in in some ways, we've we've tried to borrow from um, traditional e-commerce design patterns where if you're browsing Amazon, you have a fairly, it's fairly cohesive in that no matter which product you're, you're purchasing, um, the checkout experience is identical, the item page is identical, they reduce cognitive load that way. But I think in the near future, we may explore um, ways to create more interesting variants around popular use cases for NFTs, given that they are such a complicated and varied design space. So do you mean, for example, having like a special page for collectibles, a special page for art and, and so on? Well, it, this would translate to, to design decisions that we're even making on the pages where we, we showcase these assets. So it, one example might be if we start building out um, greater support for uh, 3D models, for instance, a, three, a 3D viewer would be something that we would feature much more prominently on that token page. So I think just making um, thoughtful design decisions around how to best support some of the uh, some of the broadest categories of NFTs is something that will serve us pretty well in the future rather than trying to uh, represent NFTs in the same way across, across the app. Mm, makes sense. Um, okay, so so you're saying it's it's underreported how how uh, hard it is to scale um, to quickly scale a startup, and with OpenSea, like where where has the the need to to scale kind of been the, the most um, apparent? I guess like is it on just like the the load of of users coming to the platform or is it more on the side of what you were saying before just how the 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 pages are designed well um i i think the like multiplier and growth that we've seen has has caused systems that were previously quite resilient to to break and for certain processes to start breaking one that i've been um dealing with with increased frequency in the past couple of weeks has been the um, the volume of incoming fraud reports has become oh. difficult to manage for um, mm -hmm. the size of our team. So we've had to start making uh, thoughtful decisions about how, how we can m make our project, uh, make our processes more mature and, and make sure that we're not fielding these requests to take down um, fraudulent projects on, on a minute by minute basis. So we're exploring ways to automate this and to make reporting tools more accessible to users. Um, they're just like product level decisions that we have to make for some of the for some of the support um, ticket categories. I think that's something that I would identify as a scaling challenge is the the bandwidth that we have to um, solve problems for users ultimately gets gets uh, eaten away once the size of the user base is 10 times or 14 times the size um, as it was a, a few months ago. So we have to start identifying places where we can better serve users through the product rather than through a support system and then build our support system in tandem. So how, how big is the team right now? Under 40 people. Mm. Um, and how many, like, how many the projects are listed on OpenSea at the moment? Oh, um, I can pull that up. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's this is a situation where we import all all NFTs that are deployed to Ethereum, so it's it's hard to really. We're we're definitely benefiting from um, the the protocol rather than um, oh, okay. the, the product in that we are automatically importing um, contracts that are deployed. So. I, I can probably um, look this up, but it, it is now um, far above where, that, like comparing this even month over month, there's 
growth that uh, is, is definitely exceeding expectations and not something that we have um, previously encountered, even on the, on the collection creation side. So are, are NFTs on Ethereum like in, in the hundreds of thousands or in the millions? Like in what kind of range do you think they are right now? Well, uh, on OpenSea, we are currently featuring about 17 million unique oh assets. God. Some of those oh. represent, um, there, there are a number of uh, ways that that number can be sanitized. There, there are some mm -hmm. projects that are, are 10,000 item projects and they're all using the same right. the same artwork. So it's, it's hard to really, um, I mean, that, that's, that gives you a sense of the order of magnitude, but I don't know if it's entirely fair to say that 17 million assets are available on OpenSea. That, that's the number of unique assets that we support there. Okay. So it's 17 million assets, 40-person um, team, and like what percentage of those do you think are frauds? Oh, um, <laughs> well, not uh, certainly not in, in the millions. Um, <laughs> I, I I hesitate to pin a number to this because we take them down so quickly that uh, mm -hmm. the creation of, of one doesn't necessarily. I, I would want to include that in in that total. In that that would imply that it's still active. But certainly mm -hmm. um, something that we've seen recently is uh, user generated content coming through Rarible or other user generated content marketplaces, um, we, we call these like communal contracts. Um, that is a place where if fraud checks are not in place, someone can easily deploy a contract featuring Board Ape Yacht Club assets, for instance, through the Rarible collection, and then um, sort of dupe users on OpenSea into believing that this is um, the official Board Ape Yacht Club collection in that the, the rareable collection name acts as a, a sort of trust indicator. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, it, it must be a really kind of fine line to, to decide what is fraud in the NFT space, because you're also dealing with this idea that, you know, you're in this permissionless uh, world or like, like at least like paradigm of, of Web3 uh, that kind of has i don't know would would make you think that anyone can list anything um but then you do have people who are purposely trying to um uh to trick buyers into thinking that one thing is something that it's actually not like you're saying people trying to trick buyers into thinking an nft is an original board uh yeah club nft um so i don't know like how do you determine i mean it, it's such a kind of blurred line just like like a deriv derivative derivative project of 40 yes which you know there are many kind of projects kind of riffing off other projects that aren't specifically frauds um i don't know like how, how do you draw that line yeah so this is a, a really tough question uh in that I, I don't think that the future that we want to um, create for ourselves is to position OpenSea as the arbiter of what constitutes original work, right? So our, mm -hmm. our um, responsibility to users, I think, is to just identify as best as we can um, whether the item that they've landed on is what they are intending to purchase. And there are a number of community signals that we can leverage to do that. Simple things like connecting um, social accounts to an OpenSea collection page so that there's a, a verified link to um, a, a Twitter or an Instagram or, or some other um, form of social trust. That's, that's one way to do this. But I think it, it's become clear that we need to um, evolve our approach to uh, identifying the type of derivative collection that you're describing where it's, it's not as problematic when um, there's a clear transformative element in the project. But I, I've spoken about this with, with a few teams that um, have had questions about our, our treatment of projects in this category. 
where there may be just a, a background color change, for instance, mm -hmm. um, and, and that may be presented as original work. Now, where this gets really tricky is I, I do think that a lot of the, um, the value in these NFT projects is tied to their community. So there are some projects that build really strong communities around this derivative uh, artwork. And at that point, it's sort of like taken its own um, identity on once they've formed a community around this project. So I would, in the near future, like to um, expose through OpenCCUI that something is, a, is referencing another project and have uh, the ability for creators to just like in good faith identify the original IP that they are, are performing a treatment on. Um, that's something that I think would appease or satisfy our requirements for buyer safety while also crediting the original artist. In the case of something like one, one project that has gotten um, somewhat popular on OpenSea recently is, is called Fast Food Punks, for example, and that involves just uh, using CryptoPunk artwork with a McDonald's hat. Um, and th that's really like not a, a decision that I want to make. I, I'm not uh, equipped to determine whether that's transformative as a derivative, but I would like to, in the future, be able to show a user who lands on that page and may not be aware of the context of that project. This project is referencing um, this other collection, CryptoPunks. Here's a link to that collection. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it's a good solution um, versus just taking down a, a project that, that looks like it's copying another project, just presenting the user with all the information available and have them make the choice. Maybe they do want like something that's a copy of something else if it's a bit cheaper or if maybe they like the community better. But I, I, I really like that way of thinking of just like letting the user decide what It, what it is they something want. That, that we also have to, um, it, there are a couple of other factors in play that I should just note. One is um, mm -hmm. there, there are always going to be a, a small sliver of projects that represent like terms of service violations for OpenSea. If, they're, if they represent certain mm. types of content. Um, those we would have to still retain um, the ability to take down. Uh, and, and also, this is an area where um, we, we do have to defer to the content, the original IP creators in, in some cases, because if we are issued a DMCA, for instance, um, we have to comply with that notice. So in the event that mm. a content creator determines that something is infringing on their work, uh, we would still have to defer to their judgment rather than um, defer to our own product judgment. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, what what does your terms of service say in terms of like which projects aren't allowed? Um, it's just like th there's nothing that would surprise anyone there. It's just like certain types of content that uh, we're legally um, not allowed to to support. Um, I. I don't think there's anything there in our terms of service that, um, I, I mean, almost any other um, platform that relies on user uploaded content has similar terms around what what constitutes um, uh, content that they're uncomfortable with. Uh, okay, so probably probably like um, pornography or like things that call like to violence or. Not Stuff necessarily. Like so, uh, on that, uh, on explicit content, we do um, we are permissive towards some um, forms of that. We we just designate that category of projects as not safe for work, and then mm -hmm. we give users control over whether they um, want to see that. But certainly, like certain types of explicit content uh, are not uh, something that we can support, and and there are other, um, you know certain financial products that we're not allowed to support on, on OpenSea and, and um, things of that nature. Okay. Um, so, okay, so you recently, or OpenSea recently raised 100 million in a Series B round led by Andreessen at a 1.5 billion valuation. So NFT unicorn here. Um, what are, what's OpenSea using those resources for? Like what's um, the, big long-term vision for the company? I, I think, so ultimately we want to be um, the best marketplace for NFTs. What that 
entails is um, ensuring that we are, are always remaining a source of truth for what what is um, like the, the current state of things on, on blockchains, but it also requires us to start investing in um, becoming a multi-chain platform. So we, we've started to um, dive into that category of, of, or that um, work stream of, of just making sure that we can support chains that we anticipate will start building momentum you know, over the next couple of years. I think the the short answer to your question about where we're deploying that capital is just um, we have wanted to grow our team to support some product initiatives that we had forecast we could we could start working on um, you know sometime next year when we have more resources and now uh, that timeline is sort of compressing and we can tackle some um, validated product initiatives that we were excited about but didn't have the bandwidth to to tackle so. I, I do think we want to double down on um, our marketplace functionality, and likely we will dip our toes into some of the some of the. Um, I, I would say that we don't want to necessarily make social a strategic priority just yet. There, there's a lot um, to do with marketplace liquidity that we and marketplace functionality that we still want to build out. But certainly, there is some value in. Um, in understanding like uh, the, the buying decisions that happen as a result of the network that you're in are not something that we're discounting. So if you belong to a community, um, being able to identify what members of that community are, are purchasing on, on OpenSea, that certainly is a factor that um, influences your own purchasing decision. So we are thinking about going social that way and that um, we want to expose to users what's happening on on OpenSea that might be relevant to them. Oh, so so like having, um, say, a chat function that is dedicated to people who bought the same type of NFT? Well, that may translate to some sort of like a recommendation engine where if we can identify your taste profile and it is similar to my taste profile, if you favorite something on OpenSea, that's likely something that we would want to show to to me or, or another user with that taste profile and that you've already indicated that you find value in it and someone with your taste profile may also find value in that. Mm, interesting. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Um, so about the NFT space more broadly, what are you seeing that's kind of like on the cutting edge? Like um, that's kind of exciting to you that you think will kind of be um that will start kind of uh picking up steam in in the coming weeks or months sure so i i can talk about one project um with the disclaimer that it's not a use case that we yet have regulatory guidance to support so this is not something that we are um, considering within OpenSea. but i've been really interested in andy's fractional project um, where he's enabling users to put items up for sale in a fractionalized form. So like a zombie punk can be represented as a million tokens and um, users can purchase some proportional um, stake in that, in that item. And I've seen more high value NFTs um, moving to that marketplace in that there's more liquidity around um, selling this in, in small parcels rather than um, waiting for the coordination of wants to line up on a seven-figure NFT. Mm, that's interesting. Providing more access through fractionalization for, for those, like, just like big-ticket NFTs. Yeah, uh, even floor punks today are something that mm -hmm. is that many um, NFT purchases are, 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 many users in the space are priced out now of, of floor punks, and I think this will become an increasingly attractive way for someone to participate in a community. Um, I, as I said, this isn't something that OpenSea is in a position to support, but it's just something that's that's started to happen in this ecosystem that's been exciting to me. Yeah, and so fractionalization for sure is super interesting. Okay, and then to, to wrap up, your view on the NFT space in the long term, like where do you see this thing going? Um, like, how will people be using this technology 10 years from now? Sure. 
So in the same way that uh, users have, have previously personalized their record collection or um, their wardrobe, I, I think that the, someone's wallet is just going to be another reflection of their identity. And really, any um, decision that you make related to purchasing NFTs, creating NFTs, that will be a window into um, how you present yourself in, in form of your in the form of your digital identity. I, I think that in the near future, um, NFTs will come to represent like artifacts of the communities that you belong to or the causes that you care about. So, I, I do think that. Um, Right now, people describe this as wallet sniping or, or looking into what someone's buying, and that use case is, is uh, not really being used to dis to discern like that person's identity as much as other purchasing decisions that you should make. But I think in the near future, um, someone's calling card or uh, an accurate picture of who that person is may come in the form of a link to their OpenSea profile or a link to um, whichever wallet they're using to display their NFTs. Uh, yeah, uh, so so um, just like a representation or or an expression of uh, your personality, and yeah, in the same way that uh, you you like pick out your outfit, uh, you you'd have like your NFT wallet, yeah, like your digital collection certainly online. Certainly, it's non-trivial that there's like monetary value behind some of these um, decisions that you're making as well. So, mm -hmm. it, the fact that you are um, that that you value a, an asset at a certain price point is also a reflection of who you are. Um, someone who cares deeply about environmental causes may um, be purchasing very high ticket um, items related to that cause. Uh, there, there may be someone else who is very, is deeply invested in um, a community like Axie and seeing their wallet, this would be on Ronin, so not supported on OpenSea right now, but um, seeing their wallet would give you insight into their commitment to that game. So I, I think there's a lot that can be extrapolated from um, the, the holdings in someone's wallet and the decisions that they've made on chain. And the idea is that uh, all of these assets will be traded on, on OpenSea. <laughs> Someday, yeah. It's been yeah, a heavy yeah. lift to get some of these chains supported, but we are intending to go as multi-chain as possible. Oh, like okay. It's a final question. Um, I, I I was I was meaning to ask this before, but like which which chains uh, are you thinking of going to next? Sure. So um, I'll give you my sense of the short list that we're that we're lining up here. I, I think mm -hmm. um, Flow and Tezos are certainly um, near the top of that list. We are interested in supporting um, Binance Smart Chain, Immutable X, um, possibly Palm, which is a newer um, chain. Um, I I, th th I have to think more about other other ones that we've looked at, but those are the ones that we're having regular conversations about supporting and trying to line up resources to support in the near future. Perfect, got it. Okay, well, this was super interesting. Um, I really appreciated taking the time, and um, I mean, yeah, like what what an amazing time to be at OpenSea. So uh, keep keep building it. I'm sure you have like thousands of people. Uh, pinging you to add this or other features, so you must be going crazy. But I mean, it's um, it's uh, I think it's a, it's a good place to be at right now. Thanks. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, we're all working really hard, but it's exciting to see the progress that's being made. So, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. The Index Co-op is on a mission to make crypto investing simple, accessible, and safe for everyone. They've built the market-leading index products, DPI, the DeFi Pulse Index, MPI, the Metaverse Index, and BED, for one-click crypto exposure. Additionally, their flexible leverage series grants safe 2x exposure to popular crypto assets like ETH or BTC, with low liquidation risk and low cost to maintain your position. To buy or learn more about these products, go to indexcoop.com. Experience DeFi. Deposit, earn, and borrow on Aave. Aave is a decentralized, open-source, and non-custodial liquidity protocol to earn interest on deposits and borrow assets. 
deposit and start earning interest in real time directly in your wallet, and swap any of your deposited assets at any time to get some of the best deals on the market. Other protocol liquidity pools are now available on Ethereum and on the sidechain Polygon. Head over to app.ave.com to get started today. Don't let high gas costs keep you out of Ethereum. At Balancer, you can trade all you want and get most of the gas costs back in your pocket. In their new Bal for Gas campaign, traders are receiving six figures worth of Bal tokens every week. And with V2 just around the corner, Balancer is becoming the one-stop shop for DeFi liquidity. Balancer V2 brings stable pools and weighted pools tightly integrated under a single protocol, flash loans, lending via asset managers, and much more. Check it out at balancer.finance. The new Kraken app is one of the best places to invest in some of the most popular DeFi assets like Uniswap, Aave, Polkadot tokens, and more. Just download the app and get started in minutes. Plus, you can earn additional rewards through Kraken's industry-leading staking product. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually on some of your favorite cryptos. Sign up today at kraken.com defiant or type Kraken in the App Store to learn more. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.